At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. In her memoir, entitled The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom recalls God's provision to her and her sister, Betsy, when they were in a Nazi concentration camp back in World War II. In a flea-ridden bunkhouse so filthy that no guard would even dare enter, she and Betsy would open a smuggled Bible and would read it aloud, waiting as different voices translated into German and French and Polish. Corey writes this, Side by side, in the sanctuary of God's fleas, Betsy and I ministered the word of God to all in the room. We sat by deathbeds that became doorways of heaven. We watched women who had lost everything grow rich in hope. Wow. This is not default standard human behavior, I hope you know. <laughs> At least certainly not in my heart. Despair and hopelessness and anger, fear would be pervasive in such circumstances. And yet for the Ten Boom sisters, they shined as bright lights amid a dark night of the soul. It's reminiscent of the Apostle Paul and Silas as they were in prison and they took the opportunity to share the gospel, singing hymns so that they could spread the good word wherever they were. Well, you and I have not faced anything quite like this, I'm sure. But we certainly encounter moments that feel insurmountable or overwhelming to us, and we, we wonder what God is up to. I think we've probably felt a few of those moments, a pinch here in 2020 and some other seasons of our lives. Well, this morning we're continuing through our series entitled Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished, and we're reflecting on God's promises that He has made with us. And we're looking specifically at some of the Old Testament covenants or promises, and it's particularly meaningful at this time of the year as we celebrate Jesus' birth because so many of the promises were fulfilled in His coming. So this morning we're visiting the second major covenant called the Abrahamic Covenant or God's Covenant with Abraham. And Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you might remember, outlines some of the elements of God's promises to Abraham. There was the promise to make him a great nation, to give him offspring, and to give him land. When we get to Genesis 15, where we are this morning, I invite you to make your way in your Bible or your device. When we get to Genesis 15, Abraham, or Abram at this point in the story, I'll do my best to keep it straight and stick with Abram, since that's what the text does, is asking, will God keep his promises? How will I know? What assurances do I have that he will say as he said he would do. God's words and his actions here toward Abraham, excuse me, Abram, we're going to see that God and his promises are firmly anchored in his character. God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham helps us to respond to God in three ways as we're going to see throughout our chapter. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of Genesis 15. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Excuse me. Ooh, I got to get that right. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So the first way that that God uh, and that we respond to God is to rest in his reassurances. His reassurances. His word over us is love even in the midst of doubt and fear and worries, and he seeks to answer us with his good grace. He does this very thing for a nervous Abraham who is starting to wonder how God will actually fulfill his promises. Genesis 15:1 places us right in the midst of Abram's fear. When God called him, uh, in Genesis 12, we read about that. When God called him and he, he made these initial promises to him, Abram was 75 years old. Hardly a young man, in my opinion. His wife, Sarah, was equally advanced in years, and her childbearing window was significantly closing, if not already closed. And so, besides having no heir that God had promised, there was also the fear for his safety. One chapter before, Genesis 14 depicts a um, near catastrophe for Abram as he rescued his nephew, Lot. And so he lived with the fear and the very real possibility that the kings, I think it was four kings that he defeated, could very well return with reinforcements. And so stability was not the overarching mark of Abram's life where God had called him to. Remember, God called him to leave a place that was home, to go to a place that he didn't know. He was to live a nomadic life. So stability which is something that humans, like me, value, was not something that God allowed him to enjoy. So can't you imagine Abram asking the big question of, really, God? Is this really, are you really going to deliver? Is this really going to pan out like you said it would? God begins to answer Abram's worry with a vision uh, and a word of blessing and encouragement. And in the text here, when it says, the word of the Lord came, that's actually the first time that we see that in Scripture. And it plays out a hundred times in the Old Testament. Over a hundred times after this, we hear the word of the Lord came. And so God's word comes to Abram and he declares, do not be afraid. What a kind word of comfort and encouragement to him that met him where he was at. God cares for Abram and he answers his concerns and he tells him, here is why you should not fear. Let me establish for you why you shouldn't fear. Because of who I am, God says. I am your shield. This speaks of God's protective care and his oversight over Abram's life to actually result in a great blessing. Several scholars have argued that the word that we have translated shield in our English translation could actually be translated benefactor. I am your benefactor, which would demonstrate the relationship that God had in caring and providing for great reward and blessing for Abram. However, uh, the the sense of protection that comes in the word shield is is fitting given the the prior drama and the anxiety with the adversity that he faced. Finally, God encourages Abram with the promise that your your reward shall be very great. He's going to provide and he's going to bless him. This past summer, I uh, had a little extra time on my hands, didn't we all? And so I picked up... uh, the Chronicles of Narnia again. I had read them over the years, but it had been a couple of years, and 
And uh, I risk sounding just a little bit snobbish, but if you haven't read the books, they're so much better than the films put out by Walt Disney Pictures. Amen? <laughs> I hope you say amen at other things here this morning, not just that the, the, films are, are, the books are better than the films. But, uh, so in, in the book Prince Caspian, the four Pevensey children come back to Narnia and they're going to engage in battle to help save the Narnians. And on their journey, the youngest, Lucy, sees Aslan. And if you know nothing else about Aslan, know that he is a lion. And in, uh, in this series, uh, Lewis depicts him as a Christ-like figure. Well, the other three siblings, her older siblings, don't believe Lucy when she says that she has seen Aslan. And uh, her sister, Susan, takes it the furthest, and she treats her quite poorly. And so when they finally encounter him, and Aslan addresses Susan, he says to her, you have listened to fears, child. Come, let me breathe on you. Forget them. Are you brave again? I love that exchange. Aslan doesn't shame Susan. He doesn't rebuke her for doubting or for disbelief. He merely speaks a word of blessing and encouragement and breathes on her. And isn't that just the antidote to her fears? She's brave again. Well, the way that God addresses Abram here in Genesis 15 by saying, I'm your shield, I'm going to provide for you, you're going to have great blessing, that reveals God's heart for his people. He seeks to console them, to encourage them. And Abram is encouraged in the midst of insecurities and worry. It doesn't all pan out yet for him. He can't see that. But God does bring this reassurance of his grace to Abram's heart. This has been a heavy week for me, for our family in particular. We learned of more people that we know who have been suffering with COVID. We heard that a longtime friend of our family lost his dad to COVID really unexpectedly, and his mom and his uh, sister are in the hospital some of you uh, here at our church have been suffering. We've had um, a family from our church that lost its dad. The Lay family continues to pass along the, the virus among their family. I got a call uh, not quite 48 hours ago saying, uh, I'm not going to be able to be there to preach, so would you please fill in? Uh, as Jacob still has symptoms himself. So candidly, sometimes... Coming to church feels like a, a lot of good words that can be hard to believe, even for a pastor. This is probably what Abram felt. It was a dark moment for his soul, I'm sure. And God tenderly told him to fear not. Don't be afraid. This also is the first time in Scripture that, those, that that command is given. Fear not. Such an assuring word from his creator. Now, often what we actually need most when we are fearful is to be reminded of God's grace and affection toward us that came through Jesus. The scripture takes us to those reassurances that we've been talking about. He takes us to those reassurances that we frequently need. Because reading the Bible regularly, every day, isn't so much a duty that we have to check off the list, but it's actually so that we allow those reassurances of grace and truth to sink into our minds and our hearts so that in the moments that are really hard and difficult, we are reassured by God's care and his promises and his love for us. 
We need regular views of, from Scripture of Jesus' love and His provision of what we have in the Holy Spirit, His presence. That's growing in gospel fluency, as we've been talking about in our life group gatherings this fall. We need to cover our hearts with the truths of Jesus, that He came for us, that He died for us, that He rose again victoriously, and that our fears can be covered by His finished work. So I encourage you to make it a regular practice of reading and meditating so that you can bask in the promises of God, to be reassured of his provision and care for you and his character. The second way that we respond and can be assured of God's character is to believe in his promises. We're going to pick it up in verse 2 and read through verse 17. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid, them, laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Okay, so I'm just going to acknowledge there's some interesting stuff in here, some detailed stuff. I keep wondering, why didn't he cut the birds in half too? I'll leave it to Pastor Jacob to flesh that out in a future sermon since he gave me this one. As I read this passage though, I am struck that we have the great benefit of seeing the fulfillment of God's promises throughout the pages of Scripture. Our perspective today is not what Abram's was when he was in the thick of it. I'm also reminded that the very true stories of Scripture that are recorded are playing out one major story that is God's promise to Abram. The whole thing points to offspring and a nation. It goes back to what he promised to Adam and Eve that I will... I will give you someone to crush the head of the serpent. And so, 
I just want to remind us a couple of the, the, what we just read here, a couple of the fulfillment of these promises because it encourages my heart. Abram and Sarah had a son named Isaac, the rightful offspring. The nation of Israel over centuries and millennia became too many to count, much like the stars in the heavens. God gave Israel a land to possess even to this day. The Jews were enslaved and oppressed in Egypt 430 years. On the night of the Passover, Exodus 12 tells us that the Egyptians were urgent to send the Jews away. No longer slaves, get out. And and it also tells us that God's people plundered the Egyptians on their way out. God did indeed bring judgment on the Egyptians as the waters crashed over them. As they drowned and God's people walked to safety on dry land. In Genesis 25, we read about the death of Abraham, and it played out just as God said it would here in Genesis 15. In Genesis 25, 7 and 8, it says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. I suppose it's easier for us to believe in God's promises because we have the opportunity to see how they have played out time and time again, that they have come to fruition over and over again. That is the great blessing that we have in the completed scriptures living when we do. But think about Abram and his time and place. How will God do what he's promised in making his name great and his family great if he has no children to possess that line through, let alone a giant family that is supposed to occupy some physical land. Well, for Abram, the text tells us that he believed the Lord. Faith propelled Abram forward, and he heard God's promise, and he trusted that God was capable, that he was reliable, and that he was going to do what he promised. He believed it in faith. God's response to Abram is actually key for our understanding the life-saving good news of the entire Bible. And it's this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. This is the, the first reference in the Bible, one commentator writes, to Abraham's faith. It's the first reference to his faith. It is, it is actually the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Abraham simply believed God, God's promises And he lived in faith, and he received the gift of righteousness from his Creator. And so it is with us. All that we do is believe the promises that God has made in Scripture about who he is and about the way that he's made for us to be reconnected to him through Jesus. We bank our entire lives, we bank all of our hope on God's promises, And we entrust ourselves to his grace. And the good news is he will not let us down. Never has, never will. In the dialogue here from Genesis 15 between the two of them, God promises that he's going to give Abram the land that he's standing on as a possession. And Abraham asks God for assurance of this reality because there were several other nations that were occupying the, the land at that moment. And I don't think that's wrong that he asked him for some assurance. I don't think it was disbelief or doubt. I think he was asking in genuine faith because it says he believed, and so he's asking for assurance of this. 
God then takes powerful and important action through the establishment of a covenant. And this is where we read about Abraham, Abram acquiring particular animals and, and cutting them and arranging them in a particular way. And Abram enters into a deep sleep as God comes. Verse 12 reminds us, it is a fearful thing to make a covenant with the Lord. It was dreadful, the text says. It's at this point that the ceremony takes a unique turn. Usually in a covenant ceremony, uh, there would be two parties, and both parties would then uh, be involved in making oaths and involved in symbolism. The parties uh, would essentially bring the curse of death upon themselves if they failed to to, uh, walk faithfully in the relationship and in the promises that they made. And so walking between those animals, the animal halves, is is a way that they would say, may I be like these dead animals if I do not keep my promises and this oath. However, in this account, only one party walks through the animal pieces, the Lord. There is not a mutual contract or agreement requiring both parties to fulfill their roles and their expectations. God places all of the burden upon himself and his character. And the curses of failing to follow through on those would fall upon God because he guaranteed the oath solely by himself. When you make a covenant with someone, you say, even though you, the other party, may, follow, may not follow through, I am going to uphold my end of the agreement. I, the offended party, will not fail in upholding my obligations to you. Marriage is a picture that many of us think of when we hear the word covenant covenant faithfulness, where people usually operate on a contractual basis. So I give you money and then you give me goods or services in return. Marriage is no contract. It is a covenant. Before Allie and I were wed, before we entered into our marriage covenant, my parents looked at her and said, no refunds, no returns. You're in it for life. He's yours for life. And that's what we intend to do. Here's the point. God has made promises, and he has guaranteed the outcome of those promises, not just to Abram, but promises throughout the whole of Scripture. He's, made, he's guaranteed the outcome of those promises based on who he is and not our own fidelity or faithfulness. Can anyone say amen to that? Because we are weak, and that's really good news. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which we read most nights, when we're putting our kiddos down to sleep, includes the promise of a family to Abram and Sarah. And Isaac is born, and God would do as he promised with his family. Sally Lloyd-Jones ends this particular story with this. And one day, God would send another baby, a baby promised to a girl who didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter which remember Isaac's name means son of laughter because Sarah laughed because she couldn't believe. But this baby promised to the girl who didn't even have a husband would bring laughter to the whole world. This baby would be everyone's dream come true. The coming of of the promised one Isaac reminds us that even of the even greater son who is promised to us from God, Jesus the Messiah. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to fulfill the promises that we read about in Scripture. Jesus was born so that mankind might know God. 
that we might understand him and his character and his heart for his people, his views toward sin and how abhorrent it is, and the fact that there's nothing that we can do on our own to make ourselves right. It is all on God's shoulders. And Jesus' death and his resurrection secured for us redemption and eternal life with him forever. We can trust that God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. This leads us to a third response to God's character. He keeps his promises so that we can anticipate God's provision of a forever home. We'll pick it up again in verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. The final four verses here specify the borders of the land that God promises to Abram. And while we could get bogged down and stuck on trying to analyze the details of the specific boundaries with the current geopolitical boundaries of the nation of Israel, the reality is that God has fulfilled his promise to Abram. Joshua, on his deathbed, proclaimed to Israel this in Joshua 23, 14, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth, which means he's about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. When we look at these promises, the way God fulfilled them, Abraham, though, saw something far better. And Hebrews 11 reminds us of this. It was summer of 2019 that we walked through some of the passages of Hebrews 11. Let me read verses 13 through 16 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If you'll recall, just this fall, we finished a series through 1 Peter, where the believers there were referenced or referred to a number of times as exiles, as aliens, strangers. So here we have this reminder from the writer of Hebrews that God's people belong to a better or a heavenly country. The way of Abram, when you look at his life, the way of Abram was living as a sojourner, but always looking forward in faith to the fulfillment of God's promises to him, even though God told him, you're not going to see it in your lifetime. And this is the same for us who follow in the way of Jesus. Sojourners who face uncertainty and difficulty, disappointment, but always living by faith as we await the final provision of our eternal dwelling with God as his people. This is the consummation of the redemption that we long for. 
and that we're reminded of in Revelation 21. Verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our hope should be strong in God's promises because our home is secured with him. I pray for the day when my faith shall be made sight. Do you? I close by reminding us of the season of Advent that we're in. A time of remembering, a time of rejoicing, of watching and waiting. I'm moved by the lyrics of the old Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, penned by Charles Wesley. It recalls Christ's first coming while even praying for his return. As we close, I invite you to close your eyes as I read these stanzas. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Father in heaven, you are seated on the throne at this moment. Thank you for the faith. Thank you for the faithfulness of your servant, Abram. Thank you for the reassurances that we have of your goodness and of your character. Thank you for the promises that you have made to your people and how you fulfilled them. You were so committed to keeping your promises that you gave up your own son, Jesus, to secure everything, everything that you declared for us. And this morning, as we share in the Lord's Supper together, we remember and we worship your provision of King Jesus. May we deepen our trust and our dependence upon you. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.